really the the thing the survivor's guilt that i had gone through was that he was he was in my spot and so we had met up uh before the the before we went to our assignment and you know i said man i don't want to be in the back and uh, he said don't worry about it i got it and then 30 minutes later he was in that crash and no longer with us listening to the black and blue podcast a discussion and celebration of the roles of african-americans and other minorities in u.s law enforcement your host on the black and blue podcast is dale peters a law enforcement professional with over 20 years experience in the business hop on board this black and blue train of interviews current events and pop culture conversations so get ready the black and blue podcast is coming at you right now Hey, Black and Blue fam, welcome to the Black and Blue Podcast, where we celebrate diversity and U.S. law enforcement. If you don't know me by now, let me introduce myself. My name is Dale, and I'm the host. Thank you for choosing to spend a little bit of your time with me. If you've been here before, thank you for coming back. I really appreciate that. If, uh, if you like what I'm doing here on the Black and Blue Podcast, I want to ask you to please click those like, subscribe, and bell icons right down here on my YouTube channel. And if you listen to the audio podcast version of the show, please rate the Black and Blue podcast five stars. And finally, check me out on any one of my social media pages for even more content. You can find me everywhere at Black and Blue US. All right, so today's guest is the chief of police of a beautiful town in the great state of Texas. So Black and Blue fam, let's give a warm welcome to Victoria, Texas Police Chief Robert Arredondo. How you doing, sir? I'm doing well, Dale. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate this opportunity. Absolutely. Absolutely. How, how's your day in, in the great state of Texas today? Well, luckily, we're getting some rain today. We've been in quite a bit of a drought, so uh, it was nice to wake up to some rain this morning and let us know that God still cares about us looking out for us. <laughs> well, that's God's country, right? Right. Southeast <laughs> Texas. We're close to the Gulf of Mexico. I'm probably about 25 minutes from the uh, uh, the nearest uh, Gulf Bend there at uh, Port Lavaca, and then about another, oh, three and a half, four hours to South Padre. But we've got a lot of beach in between us and South Padre as well. So we're in a great place, great location. It's yeah. the crossroads of South Texas. Yeah, we had a guy that just retired from my department uh, a few months ago, and he moved out there to South Padre. Yeah. And he posts stuff yep. on on uh, on the socials all the time. Just he's, he's living life right now, fishing and beach life and all that. Man, I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, man, it's good stuff. And uh, if you like to fish, uh, bay fishing down here is amazing. So that was one of the attractions that uh, attracted me down here. Okay, yeah. So, so are you originally from the area, or where are you from? No, I'm actually from North Texas. I uh, I, I grew up in a small town just outside of uh, Dallas, probably. 40 minutes southwest of Dallas, uh, Maypro, very small town. I mean, people make fun of it and call it Mayberry. Uh, pretty close, uh, really small. Uh, but it's uh, it's it's a, it was a great place to grow up. It really was. And I had some great mentors and uh, 
folks that really took good care of me. Um, that's where I grew up, North Texas. Okay. Is that where you spent most of your, your law enforcement career? or, or Yeah, actually, I, uh, I joined the United States Army right out of uh, high school. And, nice. and I, I was lucky enough to get on with the Dallas Police Department. And I spent a little over 23 years with, with Dallas PD, uh, right, going from police officer all the way to an appointed member of the executive command staff as a major. And uh, I was a division commander over the Northeast Patrol Division, uh, which was an area of about 270,000 to 300,000 people, 88 square miles. Uh, we had a little bit of everything. It was a 24-hour operation. So I, th- I think I had about close to 350 officers that worked for me there. And that was a fantastic way to, uh, to learn the ropes of running a police uh, station. And so from there, I, I came to Victoria, where I was appointed chief of police here on November 30th of 2020. Okay. Yeah. So a couple, couple years now, almost, uh, I was going to ask yeah. you that. And, uh, so tell me a little bit about, uh, Victoria, Texas and a little bit about the, uh, department. Well, it's a fantastic community, first of all. Uh, and it was my goal to come here and immerse myself in the community, get to know everyone, uh, just, just show them that I, you know, I'm here to help and I want to be a part of this community. So the community embraced me right away, which was uh, fantastic for me and what I was trying to get done. Uh, the police department is, is a, wonderful police department. I mean, they, they've got some of the best training and uh, uh, best officers in the nation here. And I'm very proud of them and what they do every day. Uh, we don't like everybody, you know, we're, we're struggling along with our staffing retention issues. Uh, yeah. But as far as crime fighting and getting after it, I'm telling you, there's not a better police department in the nation that, can, that does it this, uh, as good as we do it. All right. Uh, how many sworn personnel do you have? You got 130 sworn officers and 37 uh, or 38 I think it, well, 37 uh, civilian. Okay, okay. And how, how large is the city? The city's population is about 66, 67,000. Uh, we're, we're hoping to grow, but right now we're staying steady around 67,000. Okay. What, what sort of industries kind of run, run the city there? Well, uh, that's one thing that this city is lacking is a little more industry, but just out towards the different ports that we have here, there's a lot of chemical plants. Uh, and so they, they kind of, they're kind of the, the big workforce in the area. Yeah. Okay. So is, is it more like a, a beach community? No, we're, we're, you know, we're again, 25 minutes from the coast, uh, the oh, nearest coast. Minutes, okay. Yeah. So, but we've got a couple of different ports nearby and they've, uh, they've got a ship channel in there and they're, they're making all kinds of chemical stuff. We've got Dow and Invista and a few other chemical plants. So they employ the majority of the, uh, of the working community here. Okay. So with having those, those chemical plants in the air, do you work with them to make sure that, uh, you know, hazmats and all those sorts of, uh, incidents that may take place, uh, don't oh, yeah. spread and. Yeah. I mean, obviously you know, the fire department does a lot of that and, uh, we, we support the fire department and, uh, the plants are a big part of our community. So whatever we can do to help them as well, we, we do that. Got it. Got it. What's, what's kind of the ethnic makeup of, uh, Victoria? Well, um, it's kind of it's kind of split almost. Uh, uh, I've got a small African American population of about seven percent. The rest is almost split evenly with Hispanic and uh, and Caucasian. Okay, and does kind of your department kind of mirror that? It does. Uh, I'm real disappointed that I haven't been able to attract uh, more African American applicants. We're doing a really good job uh, with the Hispanic applicants and female applicants. Uh, I've done a lot of different things to try to engage African American community to include. Uh, starting a uh, 
a group of pastors to visit with. And, uh, you know, during COVID, when I first got here, it was very difficult. Churches weren't going on. And uh, we still found a way to try to engage the African-American community. And uh, it's still it's still a struggle, to be honest with you. And I'm disappointed that I have not been more successful. But uh, it's a very small population down here, but a very important population uh, that I, I really want to engage and try to bring on the police department a little better than what we have in the past. Yeah, absolutely. You can only go go up from where you are now. Right. So just just keep trudging along there. Uh, twenty, yeah, twenty twenty was a tough time to to start a, a new job yeah, really, over there, right? It really was, uh, and so you know, one of the things that's funny but not funny is that I meet people and I introduce myself, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we met before when you first got here." I was like, well, "Man, put a mask on, maybe I'll recognize you," because uh, I it's it's just, <laughs> and I'm usually pretty good, you know, uh, at remembering faces, but that mask, everybody's wearing a mask during that time, and I was you know just had to kind of re. Uh, meet people to, so that I could recognize them outside of a mask. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, you, you said the uh, the female population or the female workforce is, is starting to grow there a little bit more on your department. Oh, yeah. 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 We're, we're taking a, uh, we're taking a, an intentional effort of uh, again, hiring minorities and uh, uh, female officers. I think that they bring such a different perspective uh, to the table that we need to have that alternate perspective uh, instead of everybody thinking the same, you have to have that diverse uh, group at the table. And so uh, female officers make a big, make up a big portion of that for us. Absolutely. What's, what's the command structure of your, of your department look like? Well, it's a lot smaller than it was in Dallas, obviously. Uh, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Dallas uh, at one point was as big as 3,700 officers. I think now they're around 31, 3,200 officers, but you know, I get here, I've only got 130 officers, but I've, yeah. I've got uh, myself, two deputy chiefs and three captains uh, that make up my command staff. Got it. Got it. And uh, did you bring family with you down to Victoria? That is a touchy subject. We're, we're still working that out almost two years in, but uh, my wife and daughter are still in Dallas. My wife is actually employed still by the Dallas police department. She's a canine handler. Uh, And so we're, we're working through that along with uh, keeping our daughter in, in volleyball and she's doing a fantastic job there and doing a great job in her schoolwork. So, uh, it was, we're just trying to figure it all out at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would imagine. And so how, how far is the distance between Victoria and Dallas? It's five hours. Wow. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's been tough. It's been tough, but, but we're, we're holding strong and we're, we're doing well and we, we have the same go, uh, get our daughter through, uh, through school and uh, let her excel in volleyball. And, you know, hopefully that turns into something positive in the future. But while she's working hard and doing well, I didn't want to disrupt that. Absolutely. And w- what grade is she in? She's a freshman this year. Oh, she's got a, <laughs> she's got a little ways to go, huh? Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I just, I, uh, I just, uh, my youngest, we just dropped off at college uh, last week, a couple weeks ago in DC. Yeah. So, yeah. So I've got two and both are in college right now. I've got two daughters. Uh, my oldest is an adult. She's a homemaker and has two uh, two wonderful kids that uh, call me grandpa, and I, I sure enjoy them. And they come down quite a bit to see me as well, especially during the summertime. All right. So, so you're a grandpa, huh? How's yes, that sir. life? How's Young that life? one, uh, but I I love it. Uh, I, I wasn't sure what to expect, but you know, you just as they say, you love on them, spoil them, and then give them back. I don't think exactly. <laughs> exactly out there man yeah exactly you you end up you end up out of practice you know so uh 
it's hard at times, but, um, you know, I, I sure enjoy them and they're, they're wonderful kids. They're doing really well. They're, they're very vibrant and excelling. And my daughter doing my daughter and my son-in-law are doing a fantastic job with them. Yeah. Yeah. I know you said uh, earlier that, uh, you've, you've kind of disappoint been disappointed in, in kind of the relations with the African-American community. Has there been some sort of, uh, things in the past, uh, in the African-American community and in the police department that kind of strained relations or, what happened there? I'm not aware of any. Um, I don't think that I have a strained relationship or the department has a strained relationship with the African-American community. It's just difficult to recruit the African-American community. Oh, yeah. Into our, uh, and, and I'm hoping that, that you know, we can we can f- fix that relationship as we move forward and, and they see what I'm about and that I really, truly care for them. Uh, we, we recently um, um, swore in an honorary police officer uh, a little uh, girl, ten years old, who had cancer, and uh, her name's Cameron, Cameron Lee, and uh, she's Af- African American. Her family, uh, very beautiful family, that uh, al- allowed us into their their family, and, and we allowed them in our family. So I, I think that was a, a step in the right direction. You know, unfortunately, Cameron passed, and uh, you know, we wow. gave her uh, we gave her a beautiful send off, and the community was very appreciative of what. Uh, of us doing that and helping her in her last six months. And so, you know, I, I think we're, we're, we understand the community and we know that uh, we need better representation uh, from the African-American community, but it's my job to get that done. And um, yep. the reason I say I'm disappointed is because I've not got it done. I believe in, uh, I believe in engaging all communities. And when I don't have that representation, like I needed on the police department, well, then that's, that's on me to fix and I'm working on it. Yeah, I mean, uh, we said how tough 2020 was and, and a lot of these relationships that got strained with the communities and police departments was due to 2020 and George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and all those yeah. other incidents that have happened. Absolutely. So and, and it is terrible that, you know, when something happens on one part of the country, we all we all feel it. You know, you in Texas and me in California, when something happens in, you know, St. Louis or Minnesota, sure. you know, we feel it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think. um in general, our youth just don't want to be police officers right now for whatever reason. And it's a tough time to recruit. It's a tough time to retain. Um, in Texas, uh, I don't know that we pay as well as, you know, they do in California and things. And, you know, we're competing a lot of other with a lot of other industries. And it's it's a tough time when they don't have that calling to begin with. And then the salaries and benefits are not where where they should be, in, in, in my opinion. Uh, and so that that makes it very tough to uh, to recruit. Yeah. Yeah. They've got, uh, they've got options nowadays and, and they'll let you know that, that they'll take them if, if need be. It's that, yeah, right. it's tough all yeah. the way around. Oh, it is. And, you know, I feel terrible because the, the, the officers that do stick with it, I mean, the workload gets so much heavier for them. And, you know, we're just trying to find better ways to be more efficient and use technology uh, to, to improve our manpower. And um, we're just trying to figure it out best we can. Yeah. Force yeah, multipliers. more. Absolutely. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit of force multipliers and using technology Do you use like online reporting, using drones. What, what sort of things are you? Yeah, we're, you we're using drones. Uh, we're working towards some online reporting. We have some of that already. Uh, we're looking at it. To, we're looking to expand it a little further. Uh, we're not quite there just yet, um, but we're, we're, we're looking at that. And, you know, we got license plate readers and we're looking uh, to uh, put in a real-time crime center so we can tie into all the different cameras throughout the city uh, and, and just have an extra pair of eyes on it, uh, on whatever's going on. But, you know, we're having to be real 
real intentional with our strategy on where do we put our officers. We're looking, we're intelligence-based and uh, uh, data-driven. So we're looking at those areas where crime is uh, is happening and we're putting our officers in those areas and we're, be, again, being very intentional. I mean, we're doing everything from a decoy vehicle, a, a squad car with nobody in it, just at the very least trying to slow these folks down at different intersections and red lights and things because, you know, it takes two or three officers to work a, a crash scene. So if we can yeah. prevent that, well, then I've got officers available for that 911 call that's so important. Uh, and so we're just using whatever we can as force multipliers, trying to reduce the workload for the officers, be more efficient, uh, and just do just doing the best we can. Yep, I hear you. I hear you. Let's talk a little bit about your career. So what kind of brought you in the law enforcement? You said you were in the service for a little while, and then after you got out, did, did you always want to be in law enforcement? Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I had a plan, man. I was, uh, since I was really young, what, uh, five years old, kindergarten, uh, one of my best friend's mother was uh, the room mother, and she showed me year later years in life what, you know, she kept uh, the, our drawings of what we wanted to be. And mine was a police officer. Uh, and so it's been something that has been my calling my entire life. But I think I really got serious about it in high school. My next door neighbor was the uh, chief deputy sheriff for the county I lived in. And that's, uh, that's, that would have been the number two guy at the sheriff's office. And, you know, what I saw was a man that deeply cared for people. He would work all day and there'd be a line of folks waiting for him when he got home and he would never turn anybody away. And he would uh, he would help as many as he could. And he he did his job when he had to do it. Uh, but he just instilled in me that service first uh, and that, you know, you help people. You, you're there to, to help others. And so uh, he gave me a, a good uh, kind of a good roadmap on what to do and what to look for. And he was just a great mentor for me. Mm hmm. And then, so then you got on with Dallas, kind of talk about the, the assignments that you've had through your career and kind of what were the, the favorite ones that you worked? Okay. Well, yeah. And going back a little bit, that part of my plan was to be a police officer. I had to be 21. So at getting out of high school, I wasn't really prepared to go to college uh, financially. Uh, my mother uh, only had a third grade education and she, I mean, we just had to work. We didn't have a lot of money. So uh, all I did was work, didn't really prepare for college. Uh, however, I knew that if I, I knew the state troopers, uh, which I, at that time I wanted to be was a state trooper, that you could get two years of college or two years of military service either way. And I was like, well, shoot, I still got to be 21. I just go in the army. So I joined the army, had a great time there, learned lots, uh, got out. I was almost right at 22 when I got out and I joined the Dallas police department, uh, which was a blessing, man. They were so good to me. Uh, and I started out in patrol like everyone down in the uh, central uh, division, which is old East Dallas and downtown Dallas and uptown Dallas, very diverse community with a lots of, uh, different things. All the entertainment districts were there. Uh, so we, I learned a lot, uh, from there, I went into the gang unit where, you know, I was actually street enforcement and spent a lot of time, uh, in the gang unit and learned uh, tons to learn just tons there. Uh, about that type of criminal activity, uh, anything from your street stuff, street crimes to uh, long-term uh, investigations, and it, it was really it was really good for me. And um, mm -hmm. you know that was probably one of my funnest. Um, you know I moved around, patrol a little bit, different stations uh, after that, and then I I went to homicide uh, as a detective in homicide, and I spent 
a little over four years there in homicide, I believe. And um, that was actually my mo the hardest assignment I've ever had and the most satisfying at the same time. Uh, but it was extremely difficult. Um, but I just I just enjoyed that interrogation room. I, I felt like that was where I, where I shined. I did I did really well. Um, and I just it just touched me to bring justice to families that have suffered this tra tragedy and uh, bringing justice to a family was something that that was important to me at that time. I promoted out of homicide to sergeant. I went back to patrol uh, southeast Dallas, which is a very busy and uh, violent part of the city uh, during that time. Uh, I was in patrol and then I ran a uh, kind of a strike team. Uh, we, we concentrated on violent crime and we we just addressed it as it come kind of just the, the crime fighting arm of that police division. So I did that for a while. Then I got drafted to communications. And as a chief of police, I appreciate that time that I spent in communications because now <laughs> I understand what that's about and how, how difficult that job is and how important that job is. Uh, yes. I would have never understood how important communications is had I not been drafted uh, down there. And so uh, here in Victoria, we're, we're like everybody else, hurting for dispatchers, TCOs, and we're, I understand what they're going through. So I, I, I definitely empathize with them and try to do everything I can to help them. Uh, from there, I went back to Capers. I was a robbery sergeant for a, for a while. Then I went back to homicide as a sergeant. And I really enjoyed that as well because I had, I had the homicide detective experience. And then I was able to uh, supervise detectives and kind of show them you know, what, was, what worked for me. And that was just a really rewarding time for me. Uh, from there, I got promoted to lieutenant and uh, went to North Northwest Patrol, which was a lot of fun. A lot of, uh, that's another entertainment district in Dallas and you've got to really try hard uh, to uh, to impact crime in those entertainment districts. I mean, you, you got to do some really creative things to ensure that you're keeping everybody safe. Okay. Um, from, there, from there, I went to the traffic unit and I never thought that I would enjoy traffic. Uh, really? But as their lieutenant, as their lieutenant, I got to do so much. I, you know, as a traffic commander, I was over the motorcycles, the accident investigators, the commercial motor vehicle enforcement officers, um, and then we had some hit and run detectives as well. And so, I, anytime my president or head of state would come to town, you know, I was right there in the planning for that. Uh, I was responsible for the traffic plans for uh, the the state fair of Texas, which is a big undertaking. Uh, if the cars don't get in, they don't make money. So there's a lot of pressure there to right. get that track plan figured out and get those vehicles into that state fair. Did they ever yeah. get you on a bike? Well, no, I, I was uh, wanting to, but the, my commanders at the time said, you can't answer the phone on a motorcycle. You can't, <laughs> you can't be av readily available to me if you're on a motorcycle. A previous Lieutenant had been a, uh, a motorcycle uh, officer and, and, he rode a motorcycle and they could never get a hold of him because he was always on the road. So they, uh, my commanders suggested that I not do it. And it made sense to me. So I didn't do it. Yeah, Plus my wife. You don't find too many lieutenants on a bike anyway. So no, no, rarely not find all, sergeants so. rarely find sergeants on a bike. So yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. So that, that was a, that was a fun opportunity, man. I really enjoyed being in traffic because it was so different. Uh, and we were so operational. And again, when a president, the president of the United States came to town or any head of state, you know, we escorted them around town. And that was uh, that was a big deal. We've had I was I was there for three or four different presidents that came through. Uh, so, some, so your 
So your experience, let me let me uh, interrupt you real quick there. So your experience with traffic over there and the motor, the importance of the motor unit. Do you kind of bring that experience over to Victoria and and kind of uh, you know build up your your motor unit over there in Victoria? Well, they, there was a motor unit already here, and so uh, it's small. We've got three officers on it, but uh, we we've been able to use it for parades and. Uh, Again, we just laid to rest our honorary police officer. And so uh, we use them for that and uh, different types of uh, escorts and things. And so, yeah, I mean, they're here. My experience, I think, is uh, is key in addressing some safety issues and knowing what those uh, motor jocks are going through, because I've seen it and I've been through so many of those briefings, those safety briefings to understand how dangerous uh, that job is. But also, if you do it correctly and understand it, uh, one, it makes your department look really good, and and two, uh, you keep keep your officers safe. You know. Did you ever lose any uh, any motors when you were down in uh, in Dallas? I didn't as the uh, as the as the commander, the traffic commander, but I did lose one uh, just after I had promoted to major. So I left there and became a major and was a division commander and patrol commander and. Uh, Right. I mean, like within a month of leaving, uh, one of my one of my motor jocks was blocking an inter- a, uh, exit ramp and someone came at bottom of the ramp yeah. and got him. Yeah. A drunk driver yeah. ran him over. Yeah. People people don't realize that uh, not just for motors, which is obviously a, a dangerous job, but um, working DUI enforcement is is sure. <laughs> one of the most dangerous parts of our job uh, for you know you can ask your your dps troopers over there and they can tell you that you know for some reason i guess yeah. drunks are attracted to the to the uh to the lights on the back of the car and then yeah yeah as a, as a young officer in the gang unit uh i lost my partner we were actually working off duty on the freeways they were uh building out a mix master bridge system and he was hit by a drunk driver in his squad car and it was in those four crown victorias and uh, when it was hit from behind it sent the the fuel forward uh and he was actually uh, killed in that accident so oh, uh, wow. that was a highway accident with a drunk driver so uh, you know i i experienced that and the tragedy there firsthand and that was a, a really tough tough deal which i kind of lead into this and that's that's what's led me into promoting and uh, being in those positions to try to affect positive change because uh, it, it's difficult man uh, as a young officer we didn't have the wellness training or the wellness opportunities that we have today and i went through a lot um, not understanding what had happened and um, and really the the thing the survivor's guilt that i had gone through was that he was he was in my spot and so we had met up uh, before the the before we went to our assignment and you know, I said, man, I don't want to be in the back. And uh, he said, don't worry about it. I got it. And then 30 minutes later, he was in that crash and no longer with us. And so I dealt with that survivor's guilt wow. for a long time. Still do today, actually. I still think about it quite a bit. Um, but I really am trying hard uh, with even with all our limitations and uh, and things to try to work on wellness and uh, not just for the officers, but the officers, families and things like that. They're really important to us. Yeah, yeah. It, it's interesting you bring up uh, wellness and, and mental health and those sorts of things. And it's obviously something that's that's, you know, uh, pretty important throughout our, our country, but also in law enforcement. And, and we as sure. as law enforcement, we, we normally don't see, you know, that's the kind of the culture of us, yeah. you know, machismo and all that, that we don't talk about that sort of stuff. 
uh, what's what's kind of your feeling on trying to get that to change and, and get officers to kind of take care of their mental yeah. health? Well, I, I think that overall uh, the industry has done a better job of, of saying it's okay. Uh, we all go through this and we all need help and it's okay to ask for help. When I was coming up, it wasn't okay. Yeah. I can tell you that uh, even my teammates that knew what I was going through, um, they didn't react to it. They just kind of shoved me aside a little bit. And that was a bad deal, man, because I was not understanding what I was feeling or going through. And it was so different to have something not right going on for you. Uh, but if, you know, if you get injured on the job, you get shot on the job. I mean, that's very obvious. You know, you, you know people are, are looking at you and saying, man, you know, you got injured on the job. Oh, you broke your arm. You know, that's something that everybody identifies with. But when uh, your mental health is suffering, they just think you're 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 crazy, and that's how it was back then, man. And so nowadays, though, I think or, or you're industry, soft, yeah, or you're soft, yep. uh, exactly. And uh, I think the industry's done a better job, and I think we're better for it. Um, but we still struggle to let officers uh, uh, know that you know it's okay. Uh, we just have to be in, in, uh, intentional about it, and, and we're really trying hard. I mean, it's a fine balance to not get into their personal business, uh, but also. You know, you have to be engaged to understand when something is not right with an officer and try to find those avenues to give to get them some help. Yeah. Yeah. Next month in September is suicide prevention or awareness uh, month. Right. So, you know, we, we can do a lot during that month as well to kind of bring up awareness to that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, it's, it's just a tough part of our job. We've got to be better uh, at recognizing the symptoms and we got to make sure our resources are in place to help officers. And, and I think we're doing a better job as an industry. I know we're doing a better job in Victoria about it. Uh, and, and so is the state of Texas. I mean, there, there's groups that are working real hard to, uh, to address those issues. Yeah. I'd love to hear that. Love to hear that. So then you, you, you mentioned earlier that there was, you know, some, 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 something that kind of went off in your head that made you want to promote and, and kind of affect yeah. change. Uh, was there yeah. someone that kind of helped you along the way? Did you have mentors that kind of, showed you which yeah. direction you should be going and and things of that nature well i started thinking uh as a homicide detective i was like this is it for me i mean this is what i want to do uh, but then as time went on i i thought about you know my my partner uh patrick messler you know he lost his life uh and i felt like he was in my place and i thought man I'm, even though I, I don't want this to sound bad because being a homicide detective in the big in major cities to me is a big deal. Um, but I didn't want to just do that. I wanted to uh, dedicate my career to my partner and, and show him um, that, Hey man, you took my place, but I'm going to do some great things to help our industry and help our officers and, and uh, help guide them uh, into the future. And so I, that was my kind of thinking and my approach. Cause I really had never thought about promoting up. I just wanted to be, be a cop, you know, uh, but when I started thinking about what I was doing and how I could affect change and I, I kind of fancy myself a people person. So I thought maybe, you know, I would be able to at least engage officers and, and try to help them and understand what the challenges are and try to uh, affect positive change. And so, yeah, I've, there was a lot of, uh, you know, former chiefs and uh, commanders in the Dallas police department that, that um, took me under their wing, uh, talked to me about things, because I tended to be very emotional, very passionate. 
uh, and they taught me to slow down and, you know, we get what you're saying. I know we're, no, we're not moving at the speed that you like us to, but you got to understand this and how we do this. And so uh, some of those talks that I had with those commanders and former chiefs, uh, I've been able to kind of have those talks here in Victoria with my staff too, because, uh, you know, you want things to move forward and sometimes it doesn't move at the pace you want them to, but as long as there's progress, that's success. Yeah. How do you kind of identify people, uh, you know, when they're younger in their careers in patrol or detectives or, or specialties uh, to kind of yeah. want to promote and, you know, have, do you take yeah. the approach that have them approach you as a mentor or do you kind of identify it and, and show them, you know, take them under your wing? Yeah. I mean, I think it goes both ways. Um, if, if someone shows, uh, talent or that right passionate uh, personality and that service-minded servant's heart type of uh, person uh, they kind of rise to the top whenever you're doing anything that person that uh, is not not looking for getting off time but looking to do hey what can i do to help what can i do uh, and then you know my my biggest thing is making sure these young officers are staying in college and getting their degrees because it, it took me a long time uh, to finish my bachelor's degree but i i did it and then went on to get a master's. And so what I tell them is, you know, you're doing great, but one of these days you're going to, you're going to want an opportunity and you need, don't let education hold you back from that opportunity. Cause you don't know where you're going to be in 15, 20 years. I didn't know I was going to be in Victoria, but I wouldn't have been able to accomplish uh, being appointed chief of police without that education. And so that's the first thing I start working on with the officers is uh, showing them that how important education is to your future. And, and it helps you understand, both sides of the of the coin there right you you already understand what what the police department is about and what being a police officer is like but what is academia saying about it and where can we meet in the middle to be better and so i, I think having those officers uh, continue their education is, is vital to our industry uh, but anyone that uh, wants advice or needs uh, someone to just come talk to i'm always happy to do that i I, I get energy from walking around and, and talking to my folks. And so we have a lot of different conversations and um, I try to do as much of mentorship as I can. Uh, it's not that easy when you keep a, a busy schedule, uh, but I do try to be intentional walking around and talk to folks about what their ambition is and what they'd like to do in the future. Got it. Got it. And on the topic of a busy schedule, <laughs> what, what, what do you kind of like doing when you're not working, when, when you're not out chiefing? Well, uh, I, fortunately, I'm kind of a workaholic, workaholic, so if there's a community event, I go to it, and I have fun with that stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but there are, there are times, and I, there are times that I, I just want to go fishing, you know. You uh, I don't do that enough, but I love, uh, I love to go fishing, and being this close to the Gulf Coast and being able to go uh, bay fishing is just a treat for me, and that, that's what I like to do. Uh, I've, I try to read more. Uh, that's not something that comes natural to me. I don't, I've not always liked to read, but uh, as chief, I try to keep up with current events and any type of best practices and things like that. So I try to read as much as I can uh, every evening and on the weekends. Uh, and again, I, I struggle uh, to do that because that's not something that's a natural trait of mine. So I have to be intentional about that as well. But, okay. but really, that's kind of it. I don't do a whole lot. Um, <laughs> I enjoy being the chief of police in Victoria and I made a commitment to this community. So I try to be out in the community and accessible as much as I can. 
I got you. But sometimes you got to decompress, Chief. And uh, right. you know, Just like last weekend, I went fishing. There you go. <laughs> Catching you, you know, I, yeah, we did well. We did really good. Brought some fish home, put it in the in the freezer. So one of these afternoons, I'll fry me some fish or something. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Uh, so, so what's kind of the, the most rewarding part of your job as a chief right now? Um, you know, listening to the officers and trying to make their, uh, their work environment better. And whenever I can get these small wins, I, I feel like that's a, that's a good deal for me because I, I enjoy, again, bringing a, a effective change, positive change, uh, to the department. And, you know, they'll, they'll tell you, you just have to listen to them. They'll tell you what they want. I mean, they're not shy about it. And sometimes I can get it done. Sometimes I can't, uh, but we've had quite a few little wins recently. And so I'm, I'm feeling like, uh, things are on the, are, are on the upswing for us right now. And so uh, that's what I enjoy doing is just trying to uh, affect positive change. Gotcha. And on the flip side of that, what's kind of the more challenging part of your job as chief right now? Well, to see the officer struggle, uh, to see them take on that extra workload because we're having such a hard time with retention. And, you know, we, we don't have a problem uh, with the entry level officers, but, you know, we're losing some of those officers in, 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 the, in the middle ranks. And so that, that, make, that makes it very difficult for the officers that are answering the calls and working the cases. And so that, that, that's a heavy load for me, a heavy burden that I carry of trying to make that better, even for our telecommunications uh, officers. I mean, they're, they're, they're there working hard, just like the street cop is and uh, detective is. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, not able to uh, keep the department staff like, like we, we know it needs to be. Uh, and there's no fault of ours for, you know, not trying or anything like that. We're, we're turning over every rock. It's just the industry is struggling as a whole to retain and, uh, and recruit at the moment. So, you know, we're doing our best and, uh, you know, our crime stats look good and we're, we're very proud of the work we do and we're engaging our community and we're trying to, uh, do our best to uh, keep our officers well. And, you know, it's just a tough time for us as an industry. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Sounds like, uh, my department, every other department out mm -hmm. there, everyone's working overtime to, to fill mm -hmm. vacancies and shift vacancies and all that sure. sort of things. Yeah. You know, because, you know, you got yeah. also, you know, not, not just the people that aren't there because, you know, they're not on the department, but you know, you got people with vacations and, and injuries yeah. and sicknesses and family things. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, right. Yeah, so if we're tough. telling officers, we're telling officers we care about your wellness uh, and part of your wellness. Like you told me, you got to unplug, you got to, you got to do something else. Uh, and so it's, it's very difficult uh, to make sure the officers get that time off with their families and their loved ones and still accomplish the mission. Uh, but, but we're doing our very best and we understand both aspects of it. And we're, we're trying to address them both. Gotcha. So what's kind of your goal for the next five years do you see for, uh, for you and the department? Well, uh, again, improve technology, uh, fix our retention issues and uh, become more diverse as a department. I think there's uh, uh, lots of uh, good reasons why we need some diversity in the department. Um, you know, we mentioned that earlier, but, you know, just keep that crime down. Crime yeah. reduction. You want to get me excited? You want me to sit on the edge of my seat? Let's talk about crime. I mean, in Dallas, that's what we did. Uh, we fought crime all the time. Uh, and you had to have, you had to be that crime fighting, um, you had to have that crime fighting mindset. And so I get excited about that, uh, but also get excited about engaging this great community. And we have such a fantastic uh, community and fantastic support from our city council and our city management. And so we're, we're, we're in a good place. Uh, we've got to get some things done 
Uh, we've got to fix some things, uh, but we do a lot of great work. We've got a lot of great officers. And so, you know, those are things that I'm looking at, you know, over the next five years, working on that strategic plan for this department and uh, just putting us on that roadmap to success. There you go. There you go. And you talked about, you know, you, you came up in Dallas, but now you're, you're down in Victoria. Is, it, is that closer to Houston? Yeah, I'm two hours. Listen about, listen, man, this is the wildest thing where we're at. We're two hours from Houston. We're two hours uh-huh. from San Antonio and we're two hours from Austin and about an hour and 45 from Corpus Christi, all major cities, right? We're down here on an Island. We're the biggest, we're the biggest city of this six or seven County region. So we got, we're a small town with big city problems because this six or seven County region kind of dumps into our, our city. Right. So we have yep. a lot of, uh, a lot of big city issues, but we're a small city. Uh, but we're two hours from Houston, San Antonio and Austin. Uh, and, and so and, and I, five, I always five say, from Dallas. All right. Five from Dallas. Yeah, I always yeah, so. say, you know, the, the, I say the, the good thing is we're two hours from any major city. The bad thing is we're two hours from any major city. So <laughs> it works right. for us and it works against us too. Yep. Yep. I hear you on that. So, but do you, do you think of yourself as a cowboy or as a Texan now? I'm a cowboy fan. You're a cow- <laughs> that was a dumb question, but <laughs> that was a dumb yeah, question. Well, but man, I, I had to it was, uh, I mean, we go back a long ways with the Cowboys. So, yeah, uh, I'm not well, going to change that. Well, now, the Cowboys, have, Cowboys have gone a long ways without being a playoff victor, but you, we won't get into up, that. Dale. You're breaking up, Dale. I can't <laughs> hear you. You're breaking up. <laughs> All right, Chief. Hey, I appreciate you coming on to the show, but I'm not going to let you go yet. I got a little trivia game I want to play with you real quick. In this game oh, right man. here, yeah, it, they'll test your knowledge a little bit about Texas. And this uh, this game is called uh, Black or Blue, 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 Black or Blue. All right, Chief, this is my Black or Blue game, and your category today is everything's bigger in Texas. I'm just going to show you an object that's, that's larger than life, and you tell me is that object in Texas or somewhere else? All you say, it is in Texas or not? All right. So here's your first thing. This right here is a giant pecan, the largest pecan uh, in the world record book. Is that in Texas or not? I honestly do not know. I'm gonna say yes. Uh, you are correct there. Yes, that's in Seguin, Texas. Oh, Seguin, Texas. Yes. Yeah. Yes. All right. All right. Here we go. Off to a resounding start there. How about this one here? This giant ketchup bottle monument off the freeway. No. No. That is. That is not in Texas, correct? That is in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm sure you would have known yeah. that if you if that was in Texas, right? Yeah. yeah. All I right. Love ketchup. Uh, yeah. You and me both. <laughs> How about this giant ball of rubber bands from the Guinness Book of World Records? No. That is correct as well. That is not in Texas. He was in Wilmington, Delaware. All right. You were you were smoking this. All right. Let's go here. Uh, this caterpillar structure is that in Texas or not? Yes, that is in Texas. That is in some place in Italy, Texas. What do you know where that it's is? Very close to where I, yeah, it's very close to where I grew up. Oh, okay. So then, then, of course, you would know that then. All right, yeah. cool, cool. How about this one here? How about this giant pumpkin pie, largest pumpkin pie ever made? Is that in Texas or not? I'm gonna say no. Oh, wow, you yes. Killing it. That is correct. This was in New Bremen, Ohio, where they made that giant pumpkin pie. A couple more here for you. How about this giant Roadrunner statue? 
Man, that seems like that could be in West Texas, but I'm going to say no. Oh, your first one wrong there. That is in Fort Stockton. Okay, that makes Texas. sense. Texas. Yep. All right, and uh, a couple more. How about this giant thermometer? No. That is correct. That is here in California, Baker, California, on the way to Vegas. You will see that giant thermometer. We don't have much terrain like that in the background. Yeah, okay. Then I, <laughs> you, you did say you worked detectives for a while, so you, t- yeah, you took right. that clue there. <laughs> All right, and, uh, here, a couple more. How about this giant Dalmatian fire hydrant? That in Texas? No, no. Oh, another one wrong for you. That is in Beaumont. I've never been to Beaumont. Yeah. that's not very far from me right now. All right. And how about your last one here? How about these giant cowboy boots? Are they in Texas? Yes. <laughs> yes, they are in Texas. They're in San Antonio. Have you seen those way. before? Have you seen them before? No, I haven't. But I, I thought yeah, I recognized them. they're near some mall. Yeah, some mall there in Texas. Yeah, so everything's bigger in Texas. I think you did really well there. So we're going to call you the winner. Wow. Oh, cool, man. I enjoyed that. <laughs> Everybody, hands go up. All right, Chief, man. Hey, I appreciate you coming on to the show. Before I get you out of here, why don't some uh, words of wisdom for my viewers and my, and my listeners, uh, something they can you can leave them with? Well, uh, we're having a tough time in our industry, and I get it, and every chief is working hard to uh, – to solve these problems, but uh, we got to remember about all the good things we're doing, all the positive things that our departments are doing, and we just got to stay the course. And uh, hopefully, our youth will come back around and decide that this is a noble profession, and that um, we just gain that support back, uh, like we used to have. And 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 we continue to do the right thing and stay engaged with our communities, and and we're going to be just fine. Uh, but we got to make sure we're doing our part to. Uh, make sure procedural procedural justice is being done and we're treating everybody with dignity and respect and and we'll be just fine and remember to be kind well said i couldn't agree more couldn't agree more so again thank you for uh, for coming on to the show i appreciate you and uh you enjoy the rest of your day i'm sure you're going to be just as busy as you <laughs> as you've always yeah, said that you are all right you thanks chief i appreciate you nothing. all yeah. right dale thank you so much you, you got to take it. care all right all right bye bye Alright ladies and gentlemen That's it for this edition Of the Black Blue Podcast I want to thank Victoria, Texas Police Chief Robert Arredondo For spending some time with me here on the show today If you guys enjoyed this conversation And found it valuable Click that like button Right down here on my YouTube channel Or rate it 5 stars If you listen to the audio podcast version of the show I'll be back before you know With another great interview just like this one But till then Say it with me y'all Stay black in blue. I'll holler at you. Deuces. This has been a Nature D Entertainment presentation.